I want to talk to you this evening about miracles, uh, challenges, and accusations that come about from miracles. We're going to take this from Mark chapter 3 this evening. You know, growing up uh, disabled and growing up having seen God do miracles in my own life, it was never that I had a real problem believing in miracles, but much later in life, one of the things that I was always challenged by was folks who needed a miracle, wanted a miracle, and seeing that happen in their lives. I, I, some people, I saw miracles happen for them, and some people didn't. I, I've seen incredible miracles in my lifetime. I've seen blind people healed. I've seen people with uh, uh, growths on their bodies just instantaneously healed. I, I have no problem believing in miracles, but I have met so many people who do have problems, and some who don't want to believe in miracles because to believe in miracles would absolutely change their mind. I did a series of messages on a Sunday morning not too long ago on miracles, and I recommended books to you like one uh, book by Craig Keener, Miracles, another by Eric Metaxas on miracles that I thought were very good. Um, And there are just so many others, but we're going to encounter a story tonight in Mark chapter 3 about challenges to our faith, but accusations that others make about miracles as well. Michael Green, who was an English theologian, and I've read a number of his books, Michael Green wrote about a lady one time, and he's not, he wouldn't be what you call a charismatic, but he was somebody that believed God still did miracles today. But he wrote, he said, I once met a girl who awoke to find herself gripped by the Spirit of God at 2 a.m. She had an incurable hip disease, a hip that incidentally had been treated unsuccessfully by the best doctors in the nation. And when she woke up, she had been miraculously and supernaturally healed. Michael goes on in his book to say that God can transcend our inabilities to do His work. I think what happens a lot of times in our experience with Christ is this, is we in the Western world, we live so immersed into probabilities and causes. We live so immersed and enveloped in science that we we somehow or another, we don't tend to expect miracles the way other people expect miracles. I've often been asked, why do we see so many miracles overseas in countries like Congo or like Argentina or Paraguay, for instance, and we don't see as many of them in the United States. First of all, I think that's kind of a misnomer. We do see a lot of miracles in the United States, but I believe that the reason we see so many more miracles prevalent in those countries, they just do not have the doctors and the nurses and the hospitals, the ability to turn to those places that you and I have in this nation. Our scientific world has taught us that we live in a closed system. But as a Christian, and I think those that I know that are scientists and that they are Christians, those that I know that are doctors and they are Christians, they would tell you that we do not live in a closed world. There comes a certain point where medical science or physical science or uh, psychiatry is not able to address the problems that human beings face. And then we go to the realm of theologians and philosophers, and we have to deal with another whole realm. 
A scientist who would say there's nothing beyond this closed system is actually a small-minded scientist, is a small-minded person because we know there's more than this three-dimensional world that we live in. If we fail to believe that God is at work in the world today, then we're probably not going to experience many miracles. Now, I'd just like to ask those of you that are here tonight and those of you that may be watching, that if you would just let me know online as well, if you've, had a, if you've ever experienced a miracle, would you just nod at me and say, yes, I've had God answer prayer and do a miracle in my life. Okay, and if you've done so, and heads are nodding here, just let me know online as well. I mentioned Craig Keener in his book, Miracles. He talks about a man whose son was going to have heart surgery. His son was eight years old, and he had a large hole in his heart. And he asked his father, he says, Dad, will God heal me? And his father looked at him, he says, let me get back to you on that. And he spent the night praying, he spent the night fasting for his son. And when he went back to his son, he told his son, he said, you know, Jesus can heal. Jesus does heal, but healing doesn't always happen when we expect healing to happen. And then he shared with him from Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. He shared, his name was Brad, he shared with all of his friends and with his church, and there were so many people praying with him. Let me read you the rest of the story, according to Keener, that the boy went into this three-hour heart surgery, but the three-hour heart surgery didn't last for three hours because once the doctors got inside the boy's chest, they came to him and said, there's nothing wrong with Brad's heart. The hole is completely mended. Actually, it was two holes. There's not a hole in his heart at all, the two holes that were there. The hospital administrator who wanted to be sure that no charges was going to filed. He showed the dad the films, and he said, you can see this was not a misdiagnosis because he was worried that since they went in to do surgery on his son that maybe they'd file a, a lawsuit. It wasn't a misdiagnosis. I think the thing we have to ask ourselves when we read a story like we're going to read in Mark chapter 3 this evening is are we open to the work of the Holy Spirit today? Are we open to the work and the power of God today? Are we open to the fact that God still does miracles? But are we also willing to accept that if a miracle doesn't happen when we want it to happen or the way we want it to happen, that as I have been saying since Thanksgiving, as our Nigerian friends and Liberian friends have been saying, despite the persecution, God is good all the time. God is good. Whether what I want to happen or what, whether, I, whether what I don't want to happen happens, God is still good. Can you say amen to that? So let's look at this passage because that was a lengthy introduction. But before we, you know, because when we get into this, I want you to be sure we see the challenges and the accusations. So in Mark chapter 3, Jesus went into the synagogue again and he noticed a man with a deformed hand. Now, I can tell you probably something that happened. As somebody that's wrestled with disability, you want to hide that. And if you're wearing a robe, you keep the, the hand in the robe, or you got the hand in the pot, you want to hide that. So you can just imagine he wasn't walking around flaunting his hand. 
We also probably, more than likely, he wasn't a beggar because he was here in the synagogue. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. And if he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. And then he turned to his critics and he asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. And he looked around them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. That's an important sentence. Anger and sadness in our Savior at the same time. He looked around them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. And then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. And this is the response of the Pharisees. And once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Heavenly Father, I ask you tonight that this message will bring strength and it will bring comfort to your people as you have left it in your word recorded for us. I pray that it will bring encouragement to those who need a miracle, Lord. And I also pray that, Father, that somehow or another you will let this message find its way to those who doubt or God have somehow or another believed that the, the world we live in is a closed system. God, you are the creator of everything. And there is so much more to your creation than what we can see, taste, touch, or feel. Open us, I pray and to the wonder-working power of your Holy Spirit. For it's in Christ's name I ask, amen and amen. Well, I think the first thing you need to see in this passage tonight is Jesus will challenge you. Jesus is challenging not only the Pharisees, but he's challenging this man as well. And whenever you're challenged by Jesus, the thing to do is not to run from Jesus, it's not to resist what God is doing in your life, but it's to respond to him with love and with obedience. <clears throat> That's how you respond to a challenge. And I probably, since I know those of you here tonight, and probably those of you online as well, probably all of us at some point in our life, Jesus has challenged us. He's challenged our thought life. He's challenged our decisions. He's challenged the way we're living or what we're doing or maybe what we're not doing. I love that prayer uh, that is prayed so many times by so many people, Lord, Forgive us of the sins we have done, and forgive us also of our sins of omission, things that we should have done that we didn't do. Matthew Henry said in that great commentary of his, and if you've never read, he's one of the great Puritans, he said, those that would be cured by the grace of Christ must be willing to learn the doctrine of Christ. So there's something to be said here about the two people are the, the man and the Pharisees. One man has come to hear Jesus, obviously, because he wants to learn. Another group has come to hear Jesus, obviously, because they want to criticize. They want to condemn. They want to find fault. Why are you here tonight? Why have you come to hear the word of the Lord? Why are you listening to the message online tonight? Because I think that's the question that God will challenge those of us who need a miracle, and God will challenge those sometimes who come critically. Look at what Jesus did in Mark chapter 3 and verse 4. He turned to his critics and he asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? And boy, this is a painful verse right here. But they wouldn't answer him. 
What would you say to the Lord tonight if he's challenging you? If in this message he's challenged you, what have you said to the Lord in times past when he has challenged you on your faith or your lack of faith, your little faith, or when you should have done something that you didn't do or when you did something you shouldn't have done? What's your answer to Christ? Because this is the challenge that comes in our life. What will Jesus challenge in our lives? Here's some things to think about. They just come right out of this passage. Jesus will challenge a critical spirit. Jesus will challenge my critical spirit. How you came into this room tonight, how you are watching online tonight, will determine how you will walk away after this message. You can either walk away with a full heart or an empty heart, depending upon how you come to church or how you're listening to the message online tonight. If you came wanting to learn from God, if you came wanting to receive from God, if you came tonight with that sort of attitude, you'll leave with a full heart. But if you came with a critical spirit or you came grudgingly, you'll leave with an empty heart as well. If we come to worship God, if we come to sing His praises, then our hearts will be filled to overflowing with blessings. We used to sing a song when I was a child, He'll fill your heart today to overflowing. And God still does that today. He fills our hearts. Second thing, Jesus will challenge us if we have an unteachable spirit. And that's what this question is all about. It's because these guys have got a corner on the truth. They live in a closed world, closed by the law. They've got their system, and even though they're going to collude later with people that disagree with them, they're colluding because they don't want to be taught. Now think about this for just a moment. Jesus was the best teacher ever. Nobody could preach the word like Jesus could. Nobody could expound the word of God like Jesus could. And here is God himself, Christ in the flesh. He's preaching and teaching the word. I need a lot of grace from you tonight. I need a lot of grace from you watching online because I'm not Jesus. I know that's no surprise to you. But I need grace for people to listen. If you'll remember a couple of weeks ago, I said, in the Thanksgiving service, I said, I'm grateful for people that listen. I can't command you to listen, but people who listen and pay attention to the word of the Lord. I've often wondered what would it have been like, what would it have been like to have sat and to listen to Jesus preach? Sometimes I read his sermons out loud, and I'll, I'll read them out loud so I can hear them in my ear. Sometimes I'll read it and record it, and then I'll play it back to myself, and I'll preach it different ways. I'll preach it in a very dignified way, and then I'll preach it my way, <laughs> because I want to hear the different ways that I could hear Jesus preach. And here's the deal. When I read Jesus' words and I listen to them play back to me in my car, I'm telling you, my heart is filled. I'm blessed listening to the words of Jesus. But how many people walk away from church or walk away from a Sunday school class or a small group, and you ask them, what did you get from that tonight? And they go, nothing. And that's exactly what the Pharisees because they came with a critical spirit, they walked away with nothing. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't work hard, and it doesn't mean that Jesus didn't work hard, I guess, at teaching in a relevant and an applicable way. He always showed us how to apply the Word of the Lord. It's not an excuse to be a boring speaker. Do you know one of the marks of conversion is that your pride is humbled? And when your pride is humbled, you can listen. I learn from young people, and I learn from older people. 
I learn from my contemporaries and my peers. I learn from people that don't even serve Christ because when they ask me the questions they're asking, people who maybe don't even believe God, when they're asking me the questions, I can study and follow up on that. It's a sign that you've truly been saved is when you're converted. A sign that you haven't been saved is when nobody can teach you anything. A sign that you haven't been saved is you have so much pride that you can't listen. They would not answer him. The third thing Jesus will challenge is a selfish spirit. It's a selfish spirit. Now, think for just a moment. What would healing this man's hand mean to him? Let's go back in time. Let's go back a little over 2,000 years ago. There are no prosthetics. There are no robots. There are none of the helping things that we have today. This man probably couldn't have been a bricklayer. This man probably could not have been a carpenter. With a deformed hand, his options were limited of how he could support himself and support his family. And probably because parents chose their daughter's husbands, if he wasn't able to provide a good living and provide a dowry, then he probably would not have been one of the more eligible bachelors in the community. So you imagine this man whose life has been severely challenged because of his deformed hand. Naturally, you want to see God heal him if you care about him at all. But the Pharisees could have cared less about a miracle for this man. They were more concerned about the law. And when Jesus looked at them and questioned them, they wouldn't answer because they wanted to trap Jesus. And so often... We see this in politics today. It doesn't matter if maybe a politician has a good idea. If he's not on the right side of the aisle, other politicians are going to oppose him. We see this sometimes in our jobs and in our careers. If the right person doesn't put forth the idea, we're going to oppose the idea. And so here, the the Pharisees were being so selfish because they put their desires above this man's welfare. And in Mark chapter 3 and verse 6, the Bible says that once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Now, friends, you've got to understand, this is left-wing blue Democrats, and this is right-wing red Republicans coming together. This is the Sandinistas and the U.S. Army coming together. This is China and her enemy, India, coming together. They have nothing in common, except they both want to destroy Jesus. And then Jesus will challenge you if you have an embarrassing problem in your life. And boy, do I know this. If you have an embarrassing problem in your life, you're easy to relate. You go right away, we go, yeah, I understand. He would have put his hand under his robe. But let me ask you this question. When you were a teenager, did you ever get a pimple? And did you ever try to cover it up? As an adult, have you ever gotten a pimple and you've tried to cover? We want to cover up those blemishes on our face. I know when I fell and hit the kitchen cabinet a couple of years ago, I, Becky was putting, I told her, so we're not going to call it makeup, we're going to call it cover-up. <laughs> we put cover-up all over my face because the whole side of my face was blue and black and my eye was red and we were dumping Visine and everything else in there because I looked so bad. You know, I looked like I wore my Halloween mask that day. But we were trying to cover up the obvious blemishes that I had on my face. You see, if you try to hide your problem from God, if you try to run from God, 
with your problem, it doesn't matter if it's physical, if it's emotional, if it's moral, whatever it is, if you run from God with your problem rather than run to God, you're probably going to find yourself not receiving your miracle. Jesus does some embarrassing things sometimes. I remember one time, one of our professors in college told us, he says, the Lord is always a perfect gentleman. And I believe that. He's always a perfect gentleman. But sometimes this perfect gentleman does some embarrassing things. A woman with an issue of blood touches him. Now, she could have been stoned. She was not supposed to be there. She was considered unclean. And Jesus calls her out, who touched me? And nobody says anything. The disciple says, everybody's touching. He goes, no, I felt power. Who touched me? He calls her out. And everybody knew that she shouldn't have been there once she was called out. The rich young ruler right there in front of God and everybody. Jesus goes, go sell all you have. Give it to the poor. Then you can come follow me. And Jesus says to this man who probably got his hand in his pocket or under his robe. Jesus calls him front and center. Look at verse 3. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of me. <laughs> Boy, that is not why. There's some people that like attention, but most people with a disability don't like attention called to themselves. And then he said to the man, look at this at verse 5. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. He wanted everybody hold out. In other words, everybody could see what the man probably was trying to hide. And then Jesus does a miracle in his life. So don't resist the Lord. Respond with obedient faith. Mark 3 and verse 5, so the man held out his hand and it was restored. We're running out of time and there's still a lot more to go. So let me, let me pick this pace up just a little bit. Let me just give you three things quickly here. First of all, recognize when you've got a need and admit you've got a need. Recognize and admit you've got a need. And in this room tonight, I promise you that every one of us have a need. I stand here, this pulpit, I have a need before the Lord tonight that I bring to Him. Second thing is, believe in Jesus' ability to heal. You might want to put the word provide. You might want to put the word uh, care. You might want to put the, the word miracle. Whatever it is, believe in Jesus' ability to do whatever it is you need in your life. Now, here's the interesting thing. And I'm, I'm going to go outside the passage here. And one more time, I'm going to go outside the passage. Remember when Jesus touched and healed a blind man? And because the blind man would not say about Jesus what they wanted him to say, they kicked him out of the synagogue. The Pharisees could have taken their anger out on this man because he'd had a miracle. And if he didn't give the glory to Jesus, I mean, if he didn't deny Jesus, they could have kicked him out of the synagogue. So there's real risk sometimes. Have you ever had God do something in your life, do something for you, and you feel like, I don't want to share this because it might cause someone else to be upset? I had missionary friends of mine talk to me before from another denomination says, we can't talk about the miracles that God does here because our denomination says miracles have ceased. There are no more miracles. And I said, you're kidding. They, they really say, oh, they believe that the miracles of the Bible happen, but they believe once we got the Bible, miracles, that's a closed system. That's what the fairy, and there's, a, there's several denominations that believe that way, that God doesn't do miracles anymore. 
Why pray if you don't believe that God's going to answer your prayer? The fourth, third thing I'd say is obey Christ's command. Do what he tells you to do. Do If he says, come forth, if he says, come hither, sometimes when you hear me preaching, it may it just explode inside your heart and life. You need to obey that, not because I said it, but because it's God's word to you. And maybe tonight while I've been preaching, God has quickened something to your spirit. You need to obey that and follow through on that. But the most important command to obey is what the whole gospel of Mark starts off with, and that's in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced, the kingdom of God is near, repent of your sins and believe the good news. And then finally this evening, and I won't take, if you'll give me just about five minutes, I really want to talk about this for just a moment. This is where I'm going to go outside the passage again, because though this passage doesn't say this, it stands to bear with the rest of the Gospels. It stands to bear with Paul's epistles. It stands to bear especially with the book of Proverbs. And it stands to bear especially with the law. And that is, when you receive your miracle, exercise and use your miracle to serve the Lord. Exercise and use your miracle to serve the Lord. I guarantee you that man was exercising his hand for it to get stronger and stronger, even though God healed it. I'm going to tell you, when God healed me, I had to exercise. There were times that, you know, you just, you just keep pushing, and you, you push the limit. You go as far as you can, you rest, you recuperate, and then you, you keep going. And so when God healed this man, he healed him so that he could not only exercise, stay strong, but he could use what God had done in his life so that he could serve others. God doesn't do a miracle for you so you can sit back in your lazy boy and watch Georgia beat Ohio State. As fun as that's going to be. You know, God gives you a miracle so that you can serve him with it. You remember in Mark chapter 5 and verse 19 where God delivered a man, Jesus delivered a man of demonic spirits. He wanted to go with Jesus. And instead, Jesus said, no, go home to your family. Tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. He gave this man a charge. He gave this man a responsibility. He gave this man something to do with the miracle that God had done in his life. Three things I want you to notice about this miracle tonight. First of all, the source of the miracle is God. Remember what Jesus said. He said, the things that I do and the things that I say are the things that my Father is doing. So the source of the miracle is God. The second thing is, the purpose of the miracle is to testify about who Christ was. John makes this very clear in his gospel. All three of these gospels makes it clear. And Mark is just jam-packed with miracles. But there it's, it's all clear. It's testifying. It's revealing. Remember, we looked at how that Jesus touched the man, uh, he said to the man that was lame, he says, your sins are forgiven. He said, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise up and be healed. And so that he might prove that he had the power to forgive sins, that's what he did. When he forgave the sin, the man was healed. What do we look at Sunday morning in the service? We looked at the brokenness, the fear, the worry, the anxiety, the disappointment in our world. There was a time when that didn't happen before sin entered into the human story and sin has broken things. So God does these miracles to prove his power over sin. And the third thing is, 
Notice the character of the miracle. The character of the miracle was loving. It was good. It was kind. Notice the attitude of the Pharisees. They could have cared less about the man's need. They could have cared less about the man's deformed hand. They wanted to protect their system. And in trying to protect their system, they no longer cared about people. Let's look at this passage of Scripture for just a moment. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and stay upon the ground to water the earth and cause the grain to grow and to produce seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry, so also is my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. It shall accomplish all I want it to and prosper everywhere I send it. You will live in joy and peace. The mountains and hills and the trees of the field and all the world around you will rejoice. Where once were thorns, fir trees will grow. Where briars grew, the myrtle trees will spring up. This miracle will make the Lord's name very great and be an everlasting sign of God's power and love. When you see miracles, you're seeing God's power and his love. Maybe tonight online, maybe tonight those of you that are here. Maybe Sunday morning you'll meet somebody. Maybe tomorrow you'll meet somebody. And they think their deformity. They think their handicap. They think their problem means that God doesn't love them. They think that the struggle they're having means that God doesn't care. They think somehow or another they're excluded from the blessing of God of what we just read in Mark 3 and what we've just read here from the prophet. They think their issue, somehow or another God is not pleased with them. I struggled with that growing up disabled. I struggled with that going into the ministry. I had people tell me because of my disabilities there's no way God would have called me into the ministry. There's no way you've been called into the ministry. I can remember when the dean, my very first year of college, told me I didn't belong at college, that I didn't have what it took to be able to, to go to college. And that was a painful time. I remember saying, it was called the leper colony where, we, where I lived at, at, the, at, at Southeastern at the time. I remember sitting outside the, probably around 2, 3 o'clock in the morning and I said, Lord, if you don't heal me, I won't be able to stay. Friends, your challenges, your problems, your disabilities don't exclude you from God. You have got God's attention. Jesus sought out the man with the greatest need in the synagogue today, that day. And I believe tonight he's seeking out the people who say to him, Lord, I've got a need. Lord, I've got a problem. I've got a challenge. And only you can meet that need. And I promise you at Woodland Church, we will never criticize you for looking for a miracle. So God bless you. Let's have a word of prayer tonight, and then we'll say good evening. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for your purpose and your power in our life. God, we don't always like it, but we thank you for the process that you take us through so that we can make progress, O oh Lord, in the kingdom of heaven. And I pray right now that those that are listening, God, who have a great need, a hurting heart, they're in need of a miracle. Lord, they're in need of healing, that you will do a work of grace in them. 
God, even if it means calling them out in front of everyone else so that God gets the glory, help us to be willing to be used of you for your glory and honor. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Hey, God bless you. I love you so much. Thanks for joining us tonight. Let us know that you were watching. And by the way, join us here on Sunday morning. I'm going to be talking about, I'm in my Christmas series called Joy. We're going to talk about joy in the face of fear Sunday morning. God bless you. Good night. Thank you for joining us today for Woodland Church and our YouTube channel. I hope you'll take a moment and click that subscribe button and also click the notifications bell so that you'll know when new things are posted. We're always putting new material up so that you can be a part of everything that's going on. We want to share those with you and we hope that they will encourage you and strengthen you in your faith as you watch. You can also find out more about Woodland Church by going to our website at woodland.church. You can find out all about us and also upcoming events. Again, thank you for joining us today.